The title of our message this morning is Road to Transformation. A transformation is defined as a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance, a metamorphosis. Uh, several years ago, and I believe the show was still around, but it's called Extreme Makeover. Anybody seen the show? So this show, if you've not seen it, uh, someone will roll up on the scene and the house will be uh, kind of dilapidated. It'll need some, uh, some, some paint. Sometimes they rip the cabinets down, they rip the carpet out, they throw the furniture out in the lawn, and someone comes in, a nice construction team comes in and they'll say, well, take this wall down or put a wall here or take this cabinet out, take this sink out. And while they're doing all of this remodel, the uh, home occupants are traveling around somewhere and when the house is all done, they'll uh, put this big board in front of it and uh, the occupants will be on the outside and it'll be this great reveal. They'll open everything up and the occupants will go inside and go, wow, is this our house? It looks totally different than what it used to look. Well, today I don't want to talk to you about a transformed home but I want to talk to you about a transformed life. Has Jesus transformed anybody in here? Amen, amen. I want to talk to you about the transformative work, the, the power of God. I want to talk to you about this grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in Love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The man who wrote this about the love of Christ used to act like this, found in Acts 22. It says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering and to prison both men and women, to bring to chains even those who are in Jerusalem to be punished. Then lastly, it said about this man, he says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly enraged against them. How does someone go from being extremely enraged, arresting, murdering, to talking about the love of Christ? How do you go from killing people, arresting, to writing the chapter of love found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? What's his name? Jesus Christ is how we can go from the old person to the new person. It is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can be transformed. So when you get to Acts chapter 9, give me an amen. If you're new to following you some Jesus, Acts is in the New Testament. Acts chapter 9, we're going to read about this grace of God on the road to transformation. Those of you that are online, give us an amen in the chat room there. Acts chapter 9, the Word of God says this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this day that we can be together as a church family to hear about your son Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear your word this morning, that you would give us courage to respond. I I trust, Father, that you have brought uh, those individuals here that need to hear this word for this season in their lives. Be magnified, Jesus. May you and you alone get all glory, honor, and praise. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen and amen. If you're taking some notes or you are a note taker, our first point this morning is God's grace will find you. God's grace will find you. Saul traveled going to Damascus. It was 130 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So this was at least a six-day journey. So Saul was committed to the cause of arresting Christians. Now, a few beautiful things about this text here is Saul is not even looking for a transformed life. Saul didn't wake up and say, you know what, I think today I'm going to give my life to God. I think today I, wanna, I want God to transform my life. No, Saul is on his own mission, on his own road to murder, to persecute, and arrest. And he's not even looking for Jesus. But we can't miss this, family. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Saul. And now we might think, well, why is Jesus looking for a guy like Saul? He's not even trying to do the right thing. He's going to hurt people, to murder people, to arrest Christians. Why would Jesus even care about that guy? Why would Jesus interrupt that guy? We have a tendency, family, in in our society to to have the the notion of, if I do good, then God is obligated to bless me. And maybe you're here at church today, and you're like, yeah, I'm at church today, so God is going to bless me, and we hope that God is going to bless you through his word. But we tend to say, if I do something good, then God will do something. Well, here in our text, Saul is not doing anything good, but yet the creator of the universe meets him on a road to do nothing but hurt, murder, and put people in chains. So how is it, family, that God's grace finds Saul on this road? Pastor Chuck Smith says it like this, Grace is God giving to me something I cannot obtain on my own. Grace is God giving me something I cannot obtain on my own. That God's desire to bless us has little to do with how good or how bad we are. Now, that goes against all that we've been taught. Since we're little people, we were taught, well, do this and I'll give you this. 
behave yourself and I'll give you this. So sometimes we take that same mentality into our relationship with God. Well, if I just do good, then God is obligated to bless me. Well, here in our text, Saul is doing nothing good, but still yet the creator of the universe in his grace finds Saul right where he is. Listen to verse 3 through 5. So as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. We next have Jesus is revealed. And this must have been a pretty bright light to knock Saul from his horse to the ground. And it's interesting that Jesus stops him on his road, and he didn't stop him on his road and say, hey, I want you to, to, to turn your whole entire life around right now. No, he stops him on the road, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, you might be thinking, well, Saul is persecuting the church. He's not persecuting Jesus. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. So as Saul is persecuting the church, he's persecuting Jesus. And Jesus tells him this. He says that it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goad was this, this sharp instrument that was used when oxen were, were tilling the ground. Once in a while, the oxen were just a little bit unruly, so they would kick back or they wouldn't mind. So this little stick would be used to tell the oxen, you need to, you need to act right. So Jesus tells Saul that you're actually hurting yourself. Imagine kicking against this. You probably wouldn't kick against it too many times. Anybody, anybody like kind of one and done, you, you learn your lesson pretty quick. You're like, okay, I'm never going to do that again. So Jesus is telling, the, uh, telling Paul or Saul, he's saying, you're, you're, you're hurting yourself. Now, this moment for Paul is pretty intense because when, when, when Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Wait a minute. Now Saul is connecting all the dots. I know Jesus. I was there at his trial. I've heard him teach before. He was crucified and put in a tomb. So if you're saying you're Jesus, that means you've resurrected. And if you've resurrected, that means you are God. So this encounter on the road to Damascus was revelatory for Saul. Jesus is talking to me. How was that possible? He was crucified and put in a tomb. But he's risen again. That means that he is God. Commentator Boyce says this, unless Saul was hallucinating, the appearance of Jesus proved that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was God. I find it very godlike to be concerned about Saul hurting himself. Why is Jesus so concerned that Saul is hurting himself? I mean, this guy is doing nothing good for the kingdom of God. But yet Jesus is concerned, saying, Saul, you are hurting yourself. And maybe that's some of you here this morning. Maybe you went left when you should have went right. You've made a, a bad decision. So over and over and over again, you're saying in your head, I'm so stupid. 
How can God love me? I keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. You know what? Why even come to church? Why even read my Bible? I'm just such a screw-up. Just God can't love me. I wonder if God would say the same to you today. You're hurting yourself. If you, if you struggle with some, some low self-esteem, I want to encourage you, read Ephesians chapter 1 so you will know who you are in Christ. We should wake up every morning and say, hmm, Ephesians chapter 1 says that I am God's beloved. That means that I am dearly loved and cherished. I've been adopted. I've been given the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, you and I are going to make several mistakes before we meet Jesus, but our mistakes should not define us. If we let our mistakes define us, we'll have that mentality of just Jesus doesn't love me. How could he love someone like me? Well, there's a few reasons why Jesus can love someone like you, because he created you. Can we get an amen? Since we are created by God, he has this wonderful, this great, this God-like love for us. And we see it here on the road to Damascus. Why does Jesus even care about a guy like Saul to reveal himself? We would think that Jesus would reveal himself to a person that's, you know, waking up every morning, doing their devotions, opening uh, doors for people, giving money to the poor, serving the widows, uh, just being a great, outstanding citizen of this planet. Saul is the completely opposite, murdering, arresting men and women, but yet Jesus reveals himself to someone like Saul. Find it beautiful. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold, and he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. How many of you met Jesus outside of church. All right. Hey, so those of us that raised our hands, we didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I'm going to go to church and give my life to Jesus today. Uh, when I met Jesus, I met him at Mission Federal Credit Union in uh, San Diego, a place called Mira Mesa in the marketing department. I was working in the, in the mail room and I went on my last run of the day and I went to pick up the mail in the marketing department, and uh, the, a man named Maurice, he says, hey, do you, uh, do you believe in God? I'm like, dude, just give me the mail. I just want to go home. Well, we had this wonderful conversation about God and, uh, and about Jesus, but I didn't wake up one morning and, and look at my girlfriend and my two kids, now, now my wife, and say, you know what? I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. No, I woke up cursing and drinking, and I, I went to work, and and I found Jesus at work. I wasn't looking for a changed or transformed life. I was shacked up, living the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. And it's just like Jesus to say, I've got some grace for you. Totally undeserving, but I have some grace for you. I have some grace that's going to transform your entire life, but I wasn't looking for Jesus just as many of you woke up the day that you were saved. You didn't say, hey, I'm going to get my life right with God, but God found you on the road that you were on. That's why we love us some Jesus, right? That Jesus didn't look down at us and say, hey, you're awesome. You're perfect. Will you be on my team? 
I would be great, glad to have you on my team because you're so special. No, Jesus in his grace took us just broken down, just looking all manners of wrong and doing all manners of wrong. And he said, I have something better for you. I have some hope for you. I have some peace and some joy. I want to I transform your life. Jesus is looking to transform many areas of our lives even today. There are some areas in all of our lives that Jesus wants to, he wants to come in and he wants to give us this, this grace. I guess we could say it like this, that grace is still knocking at the door. So listen to this. The Bible says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Our next point is that the first step is revealed. The first step is revealed. We're all my control freaks out this morning. Any control freaks out in the audience? All right. Sprinkled all around this place. Good job. So those of us that struggle with issues of control, we like to see the, the entire staircase. Not only do we like to see the staircase, if we could, we'd probably like to build it so we know it's done right, right? So I believe it was Dr. Martin Luther King that said, um, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the entire staircase, Maybe on the way to uh, driving here to church today, um, you were blessed to be in the passenger seat. And maybe many things went through your mind that you didn't say, like, I don't know why they're going to church this way. There's a faster way to go. I don't know why they're going so slow. I don't know why they're going so fast. Do they not see that everyone has stopped in front of them? Have you ever tried to grab the little handle but there's no handle. You've ever tried to put on the brakes, but you're like, oh, wait, I can't stop it because I'm not driving. Sometimes, family, Jesus will just tell us the first step. Can you imagine if Jesus said, okay, uh, Saul, this is what I want you to do. Sit down. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be shipwrecked a few times, left for dead, beaten, stoned several times. You'll be in jail naked and cold and hungry. Uh, people will want to kill you over and over again. Welcome to following me. All he did is he says, I want you to go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. Just do the, the first step. And this is sometimes, family, where we get a little off, where Jesus, before I, I follow you, just tell me everything. If I can be completely honest with you, I don't want to know everything. Because if Jesus shows me something that was greater than me, our normal response is, I don't think I want to go down that road. Whenever Jesus tells us something that is greater than us, the human response is, I'm not enough for what you've called me to do. I'm not enough to complete this task. And maybe some of you are fighting with that right now. Maybe Jesus has called you into ministry. Maybe he's called you uh, to serve. He calls you into the children's ministry or into, or into the worship team or media. And the initial response is, well, I can't do it. That makes us the most qualified, right? That, that I can't do it, but Jesus with you, I can. So Saul, just 
just go into the, the town and it's going to be told you what you must do. In Acts chapter 8, there is a revival going on. The Lord is doing some great things in Acts chapter 8. And then uh, the Lord says, hey, uh, Philip, I want you to leave this area and I want you to go, uh, go into the desert. Listen to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, if you're like me or we're kind of together in this thing, we would think, wait a minute. Uh, God, you're moving greatly right here. You're doing something great right here, and I'm a part of it. Um, why would I leave a work that you are doing to go to the desert? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Jesus, nothing is in the desert. That's why it's called desert. So why would I leave a move of God to go into the desert where there's, there's nothing there? If you know the story in Acts chapter 8, this is where Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He's in a chariot trying to understand the Word of God. He's reading the book of Isaiah going, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, there's Philip. Now, sometimes we're a little slow, right? Maybe Philip got on the scene and he says, okay, I'm, I'm in the desert. There's just a guy trying to understand the Bible. Who else is here? I don't know why you want me here, Jesus. No, Philip looks and hey, he's trying to understand the Bible and the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is going, so help me. Help me to understand. And they talk about some Jesus. Philip leads him, to, leads him to Jesus. He gets baptized. Tradition says this unit goes back to Ethiopia, begins preaching the gospel. But Jesus just told Philip, just, just go to the desert. There's something, there's someone waiting for you if you would just be willing to go. And I wonder if Jesus says the same thing to us. Just, just do the first step. Just take the first step, and then when you get there, I'll reveal to you what is coming next. Listen to verse 7 and 8. It says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Our second point this morning is God's grace will change how you see. God's grace will change how you see. Saul was no longer able to see others and life the way that he previously saw. It's like Jesus says, I'm going to shut off sector seven for a little while. You're going to be in some darkness for a little bit because it's impossible for you to move forward seeing people and life the way that you see it now. You and I would call this being born again, that there's no way for you and I to begin walking with Jesus the same as the same person as we were before. How many of you have been blessed to have an eye exam before? Uh, a couple of us, all right. So those of you that have not, God bless you. It's, a, it's an interesting procedure. Here's a picture of an eye exam machine. So what they'll do is 
you will, you will sit in this chair and they'll, put, they'll tell you to put your face up into this machine. And someone will say, is this better or this better? And then we're like, whoa, do that again. So they go, is this better or is this better? And you're like, oh, this is better. So then they'll say, this better or this better? And you're like, ooh, this is better. Then they'll try to fine-tune it as you're staring at a, at a chart in the distance. And then it'll get so fine-tuned that they'll say, this one or this one? You're like, hmm, they both look almost the same. Do it again. This is better. And then when you're done, you can see rightly. The, the Apostle Paul, who's who he is now going to be in the future in the back, book of Acts, he was not seeing rightly. So Jesus wanted him to see rightly. And family, sometimes we are so religious that we don't always see people rightly. There is a story found in Luke chapter 7. We don't have enough time to, to read it, but I'll sum it up for you. This uh, Pharisee invites Jesus and his disciples over his house. And so they're obviously talking about spiritual things. And then this woman, the Bible says, who is a sinner. She comes into where Jesus is meeting. She doesn't interrupt. She just starts weeping, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and uh, wipe his feet with, with her hair. Then the religious person that is hosting the event, he says with inside himself, <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus says, <clears throat> uh, what'd you say? I heard all of that. Let me tell you a little story. There was a person that owed $50, and there was another person that owed $500, where both of them were forgiven. Which one would, would love the most? And this Pharisee said, I suppose the one who was forgiven much. And Jesus says, you've, you've said rightly. Then Jesus goes on to rebuke him. He says, you know what? I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet, but yet this woman washes my feet with her tears. And when I came into your house, you... Uh, didn't offer me a kiss, yet look at this, look at this woman. Sometimes, family, we can be so pious in our being religious that, that we look upon people and say, I wonder why they're wearing that. No, amen. Uh, I, I wonder why they're talking like that. Oh, my goodness. They're, they're, their, their vocabulary just repulses me. Oh, I, just, I just can't be around people who curse. If we're not careful, family, we're going to forget that that used to be us. No amen. That used to be us cursing and drinking and some of you doing drugs. And when, we, when we're around, well, we shouldn't be around drugs, that's for sure. When we're around people that are talking and dressing in a way that maybe we don't dress anymore, Sometimes we can cast that religiousness and go, Psh, you need Jesus. And maybe that's why you're there, to give them Jesus. So if we are repulsed by the very people we should be sharing the gospel with, how's anybody going to be saved? If we are only talking to the people that look and dress like us, what about the people that don't look and don't dress like us? How are they going to hear the gospel if each time we hear maybe a curse word, we're like, give me a second. Whew, I've never heard that before. 
We need to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. But if you and I aren't seen rightly, how is the gospel going to go out? We can't say, well, you don't get Jesus, you don't get Jesus. Oh, you get Jesus. No, we, we need to give Jesus to everybody. Um, if you've ever had the, the uh, beautiful option of, of uh, fertilizing your lawn, there's this little thing. You hold it like this and you pour the fertilizer in it. Anybody ever done that? And you, you go like this. It goes everywhere. It's in the street. It's in your neighbor's yard. It's on your front porch. So you, you put the fertilizer in this little blender thing, and you just walk around, and you go like this. And it just shoots fertilizer everywhere. Maybe we should put this into that little machine and just walk around and just go like this, that the gospel would just go everywhere, that this grace of God would just, would just go everywhere, that we wouldn't say, oh, no, you don't get some. Let me, get, let me fertilize all of this area. God has a beautiful plan for your life and also the lives of people that he's allowed you to be in their inner circle. That there is this thing called the grace of God that you and I should not walk around like we're awesome, like somehow God is great to have us on his team. No, we need to remember who we were before Jesus and that it's only by the grace of God that you and I are here at church this morning. And some of us were kind of crazy before we met Jesus, amen? Oh, there's nobody is by myself, I'll hug. Well, it's us then. Before Jesus, we were out there. And then Jesus came into our lives and totally transformed our lives. So much so we wake up in the morning going, I get to go to church today. When we, when we read the, the word of God, we're like, Jesus, you're so good. Where's my highlighter? Where's my pen? I got to tell someone that I read that I read Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm getting excited, and we're almost done. So let me give you a couple of things to take home before I get too excited. Let me give you two take-home points. The first one is God's grace is bigger than your past. God's grace is bigger than your past. As Saul is traveling on the Damascus Road, it's Jesus that doesn't discount all of the wrong that he's done. It's Jesus that says, I want to transform this life of yours. Sometimes, family, we, we let where we've been keep us from where God wants to take us. Sometimes we let where we've been keep us from where God wants to take us. Oh, I could never do that for God because I used to do this. No, God could never use me because I used to be that. Where do you find that, that mentality here? That I used to be something and, and God can't use me. Because we used to be something is why God can use us, amen? Uh, because we were without Christ, without hope, and then Jesus came in, and he washed away our past. He's washed away our sin. I love the, the, the songs this morning that Christ is enough for me, amen? Christ is, is enough. I'm a great sinner, but we serve a great Savior. And then our second point is uh, God's grace is sufficient for your future. We're 
Jesus is taking you and I. His grace is sufficient for where we're going. We don't know what our future uh, detailed, uh, totally entails, but we know that God's grace will be enough. And it's my hope, family, that you would say, Jesus, wherever you want to take me, I want to be willing to say, I'm going to go. If I say that you are my Lord, how can I really say no? If Jesus is our Lord, can we really say, yeah, Jesus, um, no. We don't say that, right? But what do we say? I'll pray about it. We all know that that means I'm not doing it. <laughs> Let's stop saying no to Jesus and start saying yes. Let me leave you with A.W. Tozer. He has a phenomenal book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And this is the love the chapter called The Love of God. He says this, because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. This is the love of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are missing the greatest love your life will ever, ever have. Don't miss the opportunity to say yes to Jesus.